Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of studies entitled Encore from the book of Acts for year 2022. And this morning, our scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you know we spent a good part of our study together looking at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the absolutely explosive impact that the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost had on the infant church. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, I said the thing that is so easily memorable about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is this, and it's a contemporary expression, so please forgive me, that the coming of the Holy Spirit was a game changer for all of history as it was yet to unfold. Because for the first time, God the Holy Spirit indwelt every person who responded bonded to the love of God that we find in the gospel. And so all of that happened in the first part of chapter 2. Then you have Peter's magnificent sermon in the middle of chapter 2. And so we come to the end of chapter 2 at verse 42. And it's entitled Fellowship of Believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers went together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being baptized. Excuse me, those who were being saved. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Whenever you come to explore the book of Acts, whether it's simply for a reading that lasts only several verses as our scripture reading this morning, or in your private daily reading of scripture, it goes for half a chapter. One of the things you quickly discover is this, that Luke, who wrote the gospel, also wrote the book of Acts, and he has this spectacular way of drawing you in deeper and deeper to all that he is writing. And as he does that, he inevitably fills us with a sense of anticipation and excitement. And that sense of anticipation and excitement was not only for readers in the first century, the original readers of Acts, but also for us in the 21st century. And so much so that last Sunday when we embarked upon a new series of studies, I sought to describe these next several Sundays together in this manner. Now I'm not going to go through our description every Sunday, but in the early Sundays of a new study, it's helpful to remember how we describe it. In an unprecedented moment in history, 
The coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts demonstrates the explosive nature of the gospel that changed the world forever. Throughout the book of Acts, God is on the move in multiple directions across all levels of society, transforming, renewing, and equipping his children to powerfully live out their faith. If you would like to explore how God worked then and experience him at work today, make it a priority to join us on Sunday. Sundays as we explore this remarkable life-altering story of the birth, growth and development of the infant church in ways we could never have imagined. And that's certainly true as we study together the book of Acts. And not only does the book of Acts draw you in, not only does it create within you a sense of excitement and anticipation, the third thing it does for us is this. It creates within us a desire to see God work in a similar fashion in our own lives. So please never give in to the temptation to think that it was okay for the first century, but very different in the 21st century. Because one of the things we are eager to do in Sunday morning is not simply study Scripture for information and understanding, but we study it also for transformation of our own lives. And we're consistently asking, how does this apply to us today in the 21st century? How does it impact our lives? And how do we live out our faith day by day by day? And so those are some of the principles that we apply on Sunday morning. How does it apply to me? As a congregation, we are living in exciting days. Over the next few months, most of you will be aware of this. Caldwell family, if you are visiting this morning, you may not be aware of this, that immediately next door to where we are standing, we are in the midst of a significant campus redevelopment. We have taken over our new children's area and that is just such a blessing to so many parents and grandparents and so many of you have commented on that. And as we move towards the summer period, over the summer, we're going to have access to a new gymnasium, a new congregational gathering space, a new bookstore and coffee shop, along with a new youth floor adult Sunday school classrooms, and a new worship and art centre. That is a major project. And when we first launched it in 2016 and 17, we became naturally very excited to have these new facilities on top of us. And next summer, we will or next spring rather, we'll celebrate our 175th birthday. And so we'll have both events coming together as we get excited about our future and our new facilities. Now, when I say we get excited, we're kind of as excited as Presbyterians can be. 
Because his Presbyterians were not easily excitable. Remember, after all, we are God's frozen chosen. But some of you are saying to me, Richard, I'm absolutely delighted with the new campus redevelopment. I'm thrilled skinny. And being thrilled skinny, if that was a possibility, many of us would be delighted. But we are excited about all that's going on in the life and growth and development of our congregation. And we can't wait for the next few months to unfold. And some of that excitement, believe it or not, is reflected in Acts chapter 2. As we discover, here we see the disciples, that early band of the followers of Jesus, were impacted and utterly transformed by the coming of the Holy Spirit as he renewed and refreshed them, heart and soul and mind. But more than that, he came by his Spirit to physically dwell within them, to equip them to live out their faith, and more than that, again, to empower them to live out their faith. Because God never asks us to live out our faith in our own power. And you and I both know if we were to live it out in our own power, that would be a disaster. And so we have this sense of excitement and anticipation as God the Holy Spirit is indwelling this young group of disciples and the explosive nature of the gospel is very real to them. Of course, the resurrection was 50 days earlier. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was very recent. And Luke gives us here at the end of chapter 2 what New Testament scholars call a summary passage. He doesn't give us names and dates and times. There are times throughout the book of Acts. He does that multiple times. But this summary passage encapsulates for us Four or five principles that are crucial to life and growth as a congregation. And so at chapter 2, verse 42, notice what they were involved in. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, and to fellowship. Thirdly, breaking of bread. Fourthly, prayer. And there's a couple of others we're going to see in a moment or two. And so those four principles stand out for us. And the first we see is this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now we likewise do exactly the same. Because on Sunday morning, as we open up the scriptures together, we are constantly saying to ourselves, as we grow and develop as a congregation, as we are a part of this vibrant, I suspect the best way to say it is, once again, growing city, one of the fastest growing cities in the nation, is to say, what kind of congregation do we need to be to serve the city of Greenville and the surrounding area? And the principles laid out in the first century are identical to the principles we hold to be self-evident in the 21st century. And it begins with apostolic teaching. And so we ask ourselves on Sunday morning, what does Scripture teach? How do we apply it to our lives? And what does it mean to live it out day by day? Because we're convinced that the spiritual and moral values found in Scripture are equally applicable to the 21st century as they were in the 1st century. And so we are asking ourselves, what does the Gospel say? What did the apostles teach? 
What are those biblical principles that we apply to our spiritual life this morning? And the first thing we see is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that they had an appetite for knowledge. They wanted to understand. And naturally, it begins with the nature and character of God. Suddenly, on Pentecost, they were overwhelmed by his love, refreshed, renewed, energized by his grace. And they are saying, we want to know him more. And so Sunday morning as we gather, that's one of the main aspects of our time together. We're going to say, what does Scripture teach? How do I get to know Him more? How do I understand His grace and His love? The indwelling of His Holy Spirit. What is the significance of prayer? And we spent six weeks on that during January and February. And so we're always seeking to go deeper and deeper in our faith. These, this is one of the authentic hallmarks of a Christian church. Opening up the scriptures, learning together, growing in our faith. And also, not simply learning, but being obedient. And from obedience comes growth. And we see all of that here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then secondly, to the fellowship. Now, what do they mean Fellowship. Fellowship tends to be a distinctly Christian word. And towards the end of the New Testament, you have the epistles of John, John who wrote John's Gospel. You have 1, 2, 3 John. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, We have fellowship together through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about apostolic teaching, coming to understand the character and nature of his love and his grace, living out our faith day by day in light of his love, but we also have fellowship together. Now, what do we mean by fellowship? Fellowship, in essence, is this. What are the significant signs of our common life together as a congregation. Earlier I mentioned the phrase, borrowing it, of course, from our own history, self-evident. What are the things that are self-evident in our congregational life together? Let me give you two or three marks of authentic fellowship. But before I do, let me illustrate it in a fairly simple way, so please forgive me for this. This past Christmas, I had asked Santa for a very special gift. And it was a coin about the size of my nail on my thumb. And I mentioned this at the Christmas Eve services. And it was a special coin because it was minted in 1776... It was a silver pauper penny, and on one side it had the image of George III, and on the other side it had the date of 1776. And of course you can understand the, his, his, uh, the historic value of the coin. And I had uh, 
all of November, I had been sending Santa letters, hoping that somehow he would get them and respond. And there was some discussion about this in my household, whether I would get anything for Christmas, in fact, because several folks in my house were not sure whether I was on the naughty nice or whether I was naughty list or on the nice list. But however, it turned out on Christmas morning, there was my gift and I was very pleased with it. But when you are buying an antique coin, what are you looking for? You're asking, is it authentic? How do you know it's real? Does it have the proper wear and tear that a coin might have that is that old? Does it have the right color, patina on coins from 1776? Is the print accurate. And of course you go online and you Google it and you find out what are the hallmarks of authenticity. Now I would have to tell you that towards the middle of December I got pretty frantic and I remember writing, Santa, if you give me this gift I will never ask for anything ever again. But I have to tell you I may have to reassess that come late November this year. But meanwhile I got my coin, I was thrilled with it. The question is this, what are the authentic hallmarks of a genuine church? What were those biblical principles established in the first century that are equally as applicable in the 21st century? In the first century, of course, we've already seen number one. They're going to focus on the teaching of the apostles that brings growth, development, a deeper relationship with Christ through the study of his word. And secondly, they say fellowship. Now, what do they mean by fellowship? Our common life together, what are those core things? Well, back in 2016, 2017, we spent a significant amount of time as a congregation saying, what will our life look like as a congregation in the next 10 to 15 years? And what we said was this, that number one, We wanted to have a secure spiritual home where everyone is welcome. Where seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds are found running up and down the corridor. Where we ones and our youth and our senior adults have a place to belong. A secure spiritual home where they're prayed for and cared for, where families are welcome for baptism, where we as a congregation, when we are asked, do you promise to pray for and welcome Miss Emma into this place, we immediately instinctively say yes, because we believe a secure spiritual home is crucial for spiritual development. Secondly, we said that as a congregation we want to be life-giving and life-affirming in all of our ministries. Now for all of the excitement we're going to enjoy over the next four to six months with beginning to access our new building and watch our youth and our children grow in their faith, we also have that emphasis that everything we do will be life-giving, 
reassuring, bringing affirmation, and encouraging each of us at all levels and different age and stages. So we believe that life-giving and life-affirming is crucial as a congregation. Thirdly, and we've already touched on this, so I'm not going to go into it in great detail, that we are a place of learning and growth. The last time I checked, and it's certainly been a few years since I've checked, I mean by that three or four years, we had 48 Bible studies taking place between one Sunday and the following Sunday. And I think those numbers are still fairly accurate. Whether it be a Sunday school class, a life group, men's fellowship, ladies fellowship, a circle group, youth on Wednesday evening, because we believe that growing and developing your faith is crucial to who we are and it defines who we are. Fourthly, we want to be a place that develops intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. Now what does that mean? Intergenerational relationship I've already hinted at, and on Sunday morning I'm delighted on Sundays to look out and see nine-year-olds and 90-year-olds in the same pew. And I see that with four or five of our families. And I see nine-year-olds in and around our building enjoying being at church. And I also see 90-year-olds praying for our nine-year-olds. And so that sense of modeling our faith over Various generations is so important for us, but also relational connectedness. And that means this, be involved in a Sunday school, be involved in a missional group, be involved in a life group, take discipleship seriously, grow in your faith. And here is the big challenge in the midst of all of that. Be accountable to one another. In other words, relational connectedness. When someone in that group is having a grandchild, the others are praying for them. When someone in that group is about to give birth, we are right there helping mom and dad and the other children in the family as much as we can. When someone loses a spouse, we're going to be there to support and love and care for. When someone in the group has a child going off to college, We are praying for them. When someone in that group wins a prize at the school for basketball, the others in the group are going to get alongside them and say, well done, and celebrate children and grandchildren, supporting each other, praying for each other. And when we talk about relational connectedness, real in the first century, but also real in the 21st century, hallmark of genuine church. We also see that intentionally, we want to be a place that intentionally prepares and equips us to live out our faith, and please notice this, in the messiness and distraction of daily living. In other words, when as a Christian community, our society and our culture pushes up against the Christian principles we have, we are going to say, hold on a minute. We simply cannot go along with that. And we take that stance graciously, gently, 
never aggressively or stridently, but we take a strong stance on moral and spiritual values. And some Sunday mornings we deal with tough issues. We deal with tough issues of abortion or suicide or human trafficking. And we look at what does Scripture teach about it. And how do we live out our faith in such a way that it makes a difference with folks struggling in these areas? We look at human sexuality and we deal with it, hopefully graciously, with a sense of humility. But we do from a Christian perspective. The messiness and distraction of daily living we take seriously. We also want to be a place that cares for and is committed to transforming the spiritual heart of our city. Because we believe that the spiritual aspect of life is important. For us, prayer is important. Worship is a priority. And we're intentional about that. And we pray for our city. We heard it this morning in our prayer of intercession. Praying for those who are struggling in their who are struggling with loneliness or depression. And finally, and always, we will be a place that interacts and engages with the living God. On Sunday morning, we never get together to talk about ourselves. That's an aspect of it, but it's not the primary focus. Our primary focus is to focus on apostolic teaching, what does scripture teach us? And then from that, we move to fellowship and growing and developing as a congregation. And so having said all of that, having laid out for us what our strategic plan is for our own growth and development for the next several years, notice what also happens in scripture. What do they say? To teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And notice this. Everyone was filled with awe. Why? Because God himself was front and center. And many wondrous, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They're now living out their faith, selling possessions and goods they gave to anyone who was in need. There is a compassionate desire to minister to those in need. And then every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What are they doing? They are making a difference. Giving to those in need. I think back over the last six months and ask, are we a church that's stepping up, making a difference? And over the last six months, and this is just off the top of my head, we have this morning an envelope fundraiser so our youth can go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic and make a difference. Several weeks ago, we had our yellow bag Sunday where we gathered gently used clothes and accessories for Miracle Hill to support their ministries and their thrift stores because they, in turn, look after those who are homeless, those struggling with addiction, others in the adoption process. 
In addition to that, I think of all that we do around Christmas for Hollis Academy, how we supply them with classroom assistance, how we help them with school supplies, angel tree and the Christmas gift store, the difference we make when we have our annual shoebox appeal to children around the world. And so that goes on and on and on all year round. Are we a church committee to making a difference? I think we are. And also we saw it in our offering this morning. Prayerfully, carefully, sacrificially giving in a manner that makes a difference. We welcome overseers, men coming off drugs and alcohol addiction. It was only a couple of weeks ago we had their entire choir here. What a morning that was as we celebrated them pulling away from addiction, entering into society and becoming the men God was longing for them to be. And so we see them, hallmarks of what genuine church has to look like. So let me wrap all of this up this morning with this final thought. What are the hallmarks of a genuine, growing, dynamic church where the Holy Spirit is at work? When you're focused on apostolic teaching, what does the scripture say? Secondly, how do we live it out? The second principle found here is this, devoted to fellowship, to care for and pray for one another. Thirdly, breaking of bread and prayer. Next Sunday we'll have communion. Are we committed to prayer? Yes, we see it week by week by week. Are we committed to making a difference? Of course. And I am fairly convinced that as a congregation, we live not only in historic days in terms of taking over a new campus and all the facilities that come with that, but I'm convinced we are living not simply in historic days, but we may be living in days that are sacred, where God himself is at work touching hearts and lives and souls, transforming minds, drawing us into an ever deeper relationship with him. And notice how the passage ends, verse 47. They serve with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. In a couple of weeks, we're going to put together a time capsule. We've been working on it already for several weeks, and it will go into our new building. And we're asking ourselves, what should go in that time capsule that gives us a flavor of our congregational life today? I wonder if in 50 or 60 years, when that time capsule is opened, they will be able to get a sense of God at Work. They will look back and say God clearly was at work in the hearts and minds and souls of individuals and in that congregation. And I trust and pray it will inspire them as they seek to be first prayers going on in their generation. And so this week, if you're thinking, Richard, what can I be praying for that enables us to be the congregation described here by Luke? Maybe our job is to pray, Father, may we see the fruit of our labor in our generation that God is adding daily those who are coming to faith in him. We are in exciting days.
I would appreciate your prayers as we move toward our 175th anniversary. But above all things, let's pray for his presence, his enabling grace, as we are intentional about living out our faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage this morning. Thank you for its challenge on our lives. Thank you that it is both inspirational and aspirational. And may the principles we find here impact and feed us that we might be your church living out our faith in a 21st century context. Father, grant to us your enabling as we seek to be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.